All right. Uh, today I'm joined by Cole Kephart and Ryan Autry from Garrison Brothers. Guys, thank you so much for jumping on here with me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. All right. So first and foremost, tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about yourselves. Uh, tell me how you guys both got in with uh, Garrison Brothers and, and both uh, what you guys do with Garrison Brothers. Ryan, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name is Ryan Autry. I'm uh, the Southern California Key Account Manager for Garrison Brothers here in Orange County. So just a stone's throw from y'all up in LA. Um, I've been in love with Garrison Brothers since they hit the California market. I was running bars and restaurants all over the place. Uh, got introduced to the brand in 2015, started making some cocktails with it. And then uh, before you know it, I had Charlie Garrison at my bar. I had uh, Dan Garrison at my bar. I visited the distillery in 2017, uh, fell in love with the whole ranch life and just the distillery in the middle of the sticks. It was awesome. Uh, and before you know it, uh, Cole kind of came along and said, hey, we're building on a team. Uh, are you interested in joining? And they said, I don't have to go to bed at four in the morning anymore. So I said, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then my name's Cole Kephart. Um, as said before, I am our Western sales director. So for Garrison Brothers, I manage uh, 10 states, all Western states. So basically from, from the tip of El Paso on um, all the way to California, hopefully Hawaii is on that list soon. I am dreaming of a Hawaiian vacation, as I'm sure a lot of us are. Um, and basically, my day-to-day -day is managing our distributor, making sure we've got plenty of product and inventory, uh, so Ryan can go out and ultimately do what he does best, and that's talk about Garrison Brothers to the, the fine folks of California. I feel like, uh, as I've had a lot of conversations with people in whiskey, and it's always interesting for me because I always think, man, that's such a cool job. Like if you, especially if you enjoy uh, the whiskey that you're, you know, representing or selling. I mean, mm -hmm. that's got to be a blast to. Uh, sit down and have conversations with people, maybe over a glass of whiskey, perhaps. Uh, what is that like? That's got to be exciting times. It's, it's a great point because I've been in this industry for 15 years. Uh, part of that was on the distributor side. The rest of it has been on the brand side. And I'm not going to name brands. Ryan already knows some of those brands, but we'll just leave it at that. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you have to sell some stuff you don't like because it's a job. Yep. Um, the great thing is when you can come on to a company where you like everything that they do. And for me, that's, that's been Garrison brothers. I've had two brands in my career that I loved every single thing that we did. And Garrison brothers has been one of them. And it's, it's a delight to, you know, because part of our job is going out and, and drinking it in accounts and it just makes it so much easier to sit down with the bar and have a conversation and they can tell it on your face. Yeah. If you truly like what you're selling, they can pick up on that. They see it right. enough. Yeah. I'm sure there's enough people come, coming in and out of town to try to sell something. And if you don't like it, it's, it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, they, I'm, I'm, I know what you're doing and I get it, but uh, yeah. I feel you here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's days definitely where it seems like you're just doing the job, but for us, we're, we're lucky. We, I fell in love with the juice immediately. And so an opportunity to re represent a great brand is great. And I turned a hobby into a, a career. You know, my, my day to day when I was running bars and restaurants was, Hey, go see what other bars and restaurants are doing and go find cool spots. Now I get to do it and bring bourbon and drink that bourbon with these people. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's an interesting, weird job, but it's very, very fun. Yeah, I can imagine that's got to be a blast. Um, oh, that, yeah. yeah, that's got leads to some interesting conversations and meeting some cool people, I bet. Absolutely. It definitely does. It's, 
you know, like, like Ryan said there, I mean, there are days, every job's a job at some point, right? I mean, we all have those experiences, no matter what you're doing, but um, for the most part, it's, it's a joy and a blast 99% of the time, Yeah, which makes it great. Yeah. That makes it, uh, makes going to work a hell of a lot better for sure. It does. It does. Uh, tell me a little bit about Garrison brothers. So how did, how did it get started? Uh, where's the distillery? Um, just give me a little bit of the background on the, on the, the brand in general. Ryan, you want to take this or do you want me to? Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, Garrison brothers is that beautiful bottle you have in front of you. It's, uh, mm -hmm. that's our small batch. So we're the first legal whiskey distillery in Texas. Uh, the first ones to ever be producing bourbon outside of Kentucky. Uh, we went hundred percent grain to glass. If you've ever met a Texan, they're very proud of their state. So if they're going to throw mm -hmm. Texas onto that label, uh, they're going to make sure that it was all Texas made. Uh, so never sourced a drop, never went through any mass producers of spirit. We did the hurry up and wait method. So mm. um, as the story goes, uh, and Cole, you can correct me wrong, Dan Garrison, uh, he was working in um, finance and he was working for a little company called Enron, if you're familiar. I heard something and, about uh, them. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah they're he was working little... for the trading platform that yeah. uh, he built the trading platform that basically Enron ran on and then... Yeah, Ryan can take it from there. Yeah, it was uh, it was a little company out of Texas that uh, utilized his trading platform, and he was getting paid in stocks and bonds. And he was like a few months out from vesting and, and getting out and just retiring for the rest of his life. And then uh, things happen. Uh, a company who's not a real company ends up not you know making money and gets in trouble. So uh, the IRS came a call and said, "Hey, Mr. Garrison, you're a part owner, so you owe us hundreds and thousands of dollars." Uh, and in Dan's fine words, he says, I did what every good Texas husband and father should do. I abandoned my family and got drunk in Kentucky for about three months. And that's exactly <laughs> what he did. Mm -hmm. So he left, uh, he went to the bourbon trail and he just became a, a distillery fly. He visited all the great ones and just would not go away and just was asking all the right questions. And before you know it, he formed a relationship with Elmer T. Lee, uh, who just fell in love with Dan. Elmer was a big fan, and uh, to this day, he says that Elmer T. is one of the biggest influences in his life, and uh, they're having this conversation, and Dan goes, gosh, I wish I could make bourbon in Texas, and Elmer goes, you know, I bet Texas would make a really interesting bourbon, not necessarily a good one, but a very interesting one, uh, so they went to Applebee's and uh, started literally just writing recipes on napkins and uh, starting there, so Cole, if you want to pick it up from there. Yeah, the, the cool thing with the the whole and I, you know, um, I know you're kind of interested in kind of the the camaraderie between, you know, distillers and all that stuff. The the real interesting part about this was Elmer truly wanted to see what bourbon outside of Kentucky could become. You know, he had this vision of bourbon essentially becoming what scotch is. You know, you've got all these different regions uh, producing uniquely different styles of bourbon. And, you know, as Dan says, and his brother, Charlie, says it a little bit more poignantly, we were the first idiots to buy into what he was pushing. Um, and luckily we did because, you know, it, it took us many years to really figure out the craft of what distilling bourbon in Texas would be because no one had ever done it before. Um, to Ryan's point, we were the first ones in Texas or outside of Kentucky to produce bourbon. So, you know, we went through a lot of trials and tribulations. Um, you know, our, one of our very early batches, we've lost it completely. Um, you know, we put it into the Rick house, locked up the Rick house, 
So, you know, they want to keep going and checking on it like you do with your baby every couple hours. And they came back six months later and all those barrels had blown up. So we had to go back to the drawing board, figure out what the issue was. Eventually we came to, or Dan and Donis and Charlie came to the realization that we need to use a different style of barrel, thicker, stronger, sturdier type of barrel. So, you know, they, they went and found Coopers that were able to make custom barrels because those barrels in Kentucky, they don't have to deal with the heat and humidity that we do in South Texas. So our distillery is right in the middle of Texas. It's called the Hill Country. It's about 60 miles west of Austin, 45 miles north of San Antonio. And, you know, we get, we get hit during the summers. Um, all of our rick houses are only one story. You know, whereas if you look at Kentucky, I mean, they're, they're eight levels high. Um, and the reason is because if we were to go that high, heat rises and it would be, you know, 150 at the top of our rick house yeah. and our, our bourbon would just cook. So it was a lot of just trial and error. Um, another issue we kind of ran into initially was, so we sit on a limestone reservoir and Elmer knew that because he was doing research at that point in his life, he had pretty much done everything in bourbon. You know, he brought back the Pappy line. He'd done all these incredible things that now everybody just goes nuts for. But when he was doing this, he saw that high Texas sits on a limestone reservoir and he, he found out that Dan owned property there. And as we started to, to mash and cook and all that stuff, our, so in order to make a bourbon, you have to start with a beer. So our beer was coming off, Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong, I think like 14 to 18% ABV yep. compared to like an 8% in Kentucky. Mm. So it was wildly different, which ends up working out really well for us. But at the time, no one knew because they were so used to one thing. So, you know, to, to say Dan and Donis and Charlie were pioneers, I don't think is a stretch because they really had to, to figure it out all the way. What, what year was this? Do you know around what time? So, um, I mean, you know, legally we got our distillers permit in 2008, but we were doing some shining and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Not in, you know, it's not like they were throwing it in the back of a, a Pontiac yeah. GTO and hitting the road, you know, like, like Smokey and the Bandit or anything like that. But they were experimenting a little bit very early on in the early 2000s and then, you know, started to realize, hey, this could be a real business. And in 2008, we were finally able to get some of those laws in Texas changed um, to allow for us to move forward and get our distilling permit and everything like that. Why? I don't know if you have an answer to this. I'm, why do you think that... Um, that Texas wasn't a place that people had uh, thought about like venturing into in terms of making bourbon. I mean, you have the humidity, obviously the extreme heat, uh, especially like where you guys are at, but I mean, you guys will get some winners. Like you'll get some fluctuation with, with oh, weather, yeah. right? I mean, everybody, everybody oh, yeah. saw it uh, earlier this year. I mean, the massive freeze as they call it now happened, but you know, to answer the question and Ryan might have some more insight to it. I just think at the time, the distilling industry, you know, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, and you might not even know this. I think it was nine distilleries in the country or, and most of them were big conglomerate distilleries. You know, at that time, craft beer was finally starting to come back after, you know, it got blown away in the, the mid to late nineties. And I just don't know that anybody had ever really explored it. I mean, it's to make bourbon, it's expensive. 
it, it takes a lot of capital. You know, you're not seeing any return on investment for two to maybe five years, depending on what you want to do. Um, I don't know that it was necessarily Texas. I just think it's the way that the industry set up. I think it might've scared people away, but Ryan. Yeah. You know, I, I think the, one of the coolest things I really love about whiskey in general and, and bourbon even more specifically is that it's got a lot of history. Um, there's so much historical relevance to it. And, uh, you know, when, when it landed in Kentucky, um, it was the perfect place to, to create bourbon. It was the perfect place for that bourbon to become its home. Um, from there, you know, you've got prohibition that happened. You have, you know, post-prohibition timeframe. It's kind of similar to how in Ireland you had thousands of distilleries and then it all went down to like three. Um, similarly in, in the States, you know, a lot of those distillers come prohibition, they left, they went to Canada, uh, they went overseas, they just abandoned it. And so luckily in Kentucky, we had a stronghold and, and we had a lot of different distilleries kind of keep in there. So what happened afterwards is that bourbon really wanted to be from Kentucky. You know, there, there was a big marketing kind of slogan, the best bourbon comes from Kentucky. You extrapolate that over 70, 80 years, all of a sudden it's like all bourbon comes from Kentucky. And um, not necessarily true. You know, uh, actually it was Lyndon B. Johnson when he was in office, he wrote an effect. He says, you know what? Bourbon is the spirit of America. Thus it can be made anywhere in the States. And that's the, the, the coolest thing. Um, you know, bourbon is the most policed spirit in the world. In order to be called bourbon, you have to follow all these different laws and rules and regulations uh, from your corn and your mash tuns to how you barrel age to how you distill and your proofing and fill levels. Um, at that point, it became just this really cool category, but nobody thought like, okay, well, we can do it outside of Kentucky. It's just, this is where it came from. This is where it goes. I think it's funny because yeah, people people still think like I mean I've still run into people now that they're like yeah bourbon that's cool like it has to come from Kentucky right it's like no it, it doesn't actually yeah I yeah, was just, I yeah. was gonna say we we still on the sales side of it you know because we're out interacting with the end consumer on a daily basis Ryan and I hear it probably at least once a week uh, when we first started kind of hitting the California market it was almost every day. Um, so it is nice to see that consumers are getting more and more educated on what the alcohol that they're drinking is. But yeah, it, to, to Ryan's point, it was essentially marketing that drove that Kentucky, you know, it only can come from Kentucky mentality, but people are getting smarter, which is great yeah. to see. I, and uh, oh, sorry, go right ahead. No, 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 go ahead. <clears throat> The, the thing that I found really interesting, and I think the reason that you're starting to see such a big explosion of whiskeys and bourbons from all over the country is that, you know, uh, to me, I actually think wine in a big way. Uh, people started drinking wine and understanding terroir. And once they understood terroir, they said, oh, yeah, this is a Napa Cab and this is a uh, Washington Pinot and different climates will give you different stuff. And we're starting to now see that in whiskey, you know, and we'll get into it with Texas. Like our, our Texas bourbon is wildly different from Kentucky bourbon, both phenomenal, both excellent in flavor and profile. Uh, but now you're, you've got stuff coming out of Virginia and you've got stuff mm -hmm. coming out of Nevada and New York. And I think that's something that the Scots did that understood we can create a category and then we can create all these subcategories from that one category and drive all of our Scotch sales. And now we're seeing that with bourbon too in the States. 
I think that's a cool point. And I want, I want to talk to you guys about like that Texas bourbon thing. And I, and I don't, not to get away specifically from Garrison brothers, but what I think is really cool is I've talked to a number of people and I've not heard one person like bad mouth, uh, another either brand or company or, um, anybody that's trying to do what everybody else is doing. Everyone's trying to make good, good bourbon, you know, and it's, it's not like, yes, you're competing clearly in, in sales and stuff like that, but it's like, you all want to just make it a great industry. Um, and I mentioned earlier, like I had Jamie from Treaty Oak on, and she was super complimentary of you guys and, and Balconies and everybody that's out of Texas. And I think, like you mentioned, the, like the regional aspect of it, I guess my first question of that would be like, for one, I, with the different bourbons coming from so many different areas. And like you mentioned, I mean, great one coming out of Nevada. There's a good one out of Washington and, and everywhere, mm -hmm. you know, um, how does that, I guess, change or get skewed with consumers with, you know, when you throw in like an MGP and it's not to bash on anybody that uses MGP by any means, because a lot of people don't have the capital to sit on, on their whiskey barrels for two, three, four years before they sell it. Um, but does that sort of get skewed when you see, okay, here's a company out of Wyoming and it's made in Indiana or you know, it's being marketed as, as that. It, does that skew it a little bit or is that going to be for a, a deeper level consumer who really wants to have stuff that is regional? You know, it's so, a, go, go ahead, Ryan. So I, I, I love that that is a part of, of what we're talking about today. You know, hats off to MGP. Mm -hmm. You know, they make, incredible whiskey they make oh, yeah. and they have helped build so many different brands and so many oh, yeah. different people i think the biggest thing that we learned is that you know and, and i learned on my side um is that you can have the same whiskey with a whole bunch of different labels on it or similar whiskeys with a whole bunch of different labels on it or you can kind of branch out and start tasting new stuff and that's specifically with texas what we really love what Balconis is doing, what Treaty Oak is doing, what we're doing, it's its all slightly different, but we're all aligned with the idea of, okay, that's okay, that we're different. And yeah. the more the merrier, you know, for, for my industry, when I was running bars and restaurants, uh, we were very craft driven and very chef driven. And we didn't look at it as competition. We looked at it as more as uh, the more restaurants and bars that are like us that are out there, the more the consumer and the, the people out in the world are going to say, you know what? Maybe I can steer away from my normal go go to stuff and try some new things, and that's that's the, something I with. Yeah, to Ryan's point. I mean, if one of us wins, all of us win. I mean, you know, we're in the in the whiskey category. Texas is a small guy on the block. You know, we're we're sitting there, you know, punching against some some big time heavyweights coming out of Kentucky. So, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's Texas, Nevada, I heard you mention the the smoke wagon guys over there or even the Woodenville guys up in Washington, you know, we're, we're all going up against the, the big giant. So, you know, if one of us wins, we all win. And, you know, to the point about Texas and MGP, I saw you holding up a bottle earlier. You know, we put a stamp on our, on our bottles. It's a little silver stamp, little kind of circular looking thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's basically saying this is a true handmade Texas bourbon. So Balconies mm -hmm. has some of theirs with those stamps on them. Um, so do the guys at Tree Yoke. I've known Daniel for a long time and he's making great whiskey over there as well. Um, so, you know, while there's nothing wrong with MGP, um, the thing that started to, I think, rub Dan and some of these guys that are making their, their juice from scratch like we do, you know, they're basically coming in and saying, hey, we're Texas. Well, sure, you've got, you've got a marketing team that lives there and that's fine, yeah. but you're not truly doing what we're doing. And 
Dan was able to create this whole foundation, you know, to, to really hone in on true Texas producers, which I think is something great. It's a, it's a call out for everybody to, to strive to be a little better in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great point. Like, and, and to your point earlier, like I've never met a Texan that's not proud as hell to be from Texas. Yeah. I've, I don't, exactly. I don't know if I've, I've made many trips to Texas and I don't think anybody that's from there does not have a Texas flag in or around their house. So it's like different I, than I, California. Yeah. It's very different. Don't see yeah. that bear flag a, a lot of places, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you're right. And, and I think especially being from Texas of any other state, um, maybe like, except for if something were to come out of Hawaii, uh, you're not going to have the state pride that, that Texas is going to have. So if you're going to put that, it's Texas whiskey that you want that to be from Texas and, mm-hmm. um, made there and, and, uh, aged there and have everything if possible to be from there, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for us, we, um, over the last couple of years, you know, the mash bill is still the same for us. It's uh, 74% white panhandle corn sourced from the south, southern part of Texas, 15% red winter wheat from Texas. And then over the last couple of years, we've actually transitioned to barley uh, from Texas, which is, so now it's a truly 100% Texas product, um, which, you know, if you talk to our master distiller, Donis Todd, he is, he is very proud of to have all the grains now coming from Texas. I'd imagine that's got to be a huge, uh, huge source of pride. If you're making a Texas, a Texas yeah. whiskey that everything's from Texas. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Our first, our first few runs were with grain that we grew on the ranch, like in our own backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. you know, we, we worked with uh, a corn producer, uh, for that, but the wheat we are growing in the backyard, and uh, now <clears throat> as we've grown, we've actually been able to include a lot of Texas farmers and Texas ranchers to work with them, support them locally, and support their uh, their business. And it's it's been a wonderful growth in re- of relationships. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, I think the way that I heard it described once is like, look, we're we are not going to take down Buffalo Trace. It's just not going to happen. So no. it's like you're not trying to beat those guys you're just trying to kind of have your own place in it and i think Mm -hmm. what's the other place that i would say is making so much cool stuff is colorado i think there's a lot of really good Mm -hmm. bottles coming out of colorado right now oh yeah um and i think they've got like their own little niche going and i think texas has their own niche going and it's like when i start seeing those things happening like you were talking about uh with like the regional you know differences ryan i think that's like those are three things that i think are very cool right now between the colorado texas and like your kentucky you know bourbon uh uh, that's coming out from, you know, from Kentucky. I think it's really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay. When you, when you see Garrison brothers on the shelf, like this just, I mean, again, it screams Texas. Like you've got the star you've got, like, it, I mean, it really like that. Like, I don't think you have to read it to know that this is from Texas. Um, and I love like the straightforwardness on the bottle, right. You drink like an adult, um, I mean, like, look, we're not drinking little kid stuff here, you know, and the price yeah. point's not at like, you know, Steve's, uh, Steve's whiskey in a plastic bottle on the bottom shelf. <laughs> uh, talk about a little bit from like the marketing side and getting that out for people. Yeah. Can, yeah. can you be a little uh, more specific in what you're like, you know, just in terms right. of, I mean, is this, is it, is the bottle to like draw attention to like, look, this is something different. This is your, like, the, like I said, this screams Texas when you look at the bottle, yeah. you know, is that something that you're oh, yeah. like going for and trying to draw people into like your category specifically? I would, I, 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 yes. Yeah. I would I, say I it's think a, so. a bit of both, honestly, yeah. like, you know, for us, 
yes, we, you know, if you look at most of our marketing, it is geared towards Texas, but on the other end, you know, we're, we also don't want to be known just as, oh, that's a Texas bourbon. You know, we want to be known just, hey, that's, that's a good bourbon brand, you know? So I think it's a little bit of both, but yes, to your point about the bottle, um, you can't not look at it and go, oh, that's Texas. Sure. Or, you know, think anything yeah. other than that. Yeah, I, the way I like to kind of describe it, the way I like to kind of describe it, you know, even just looking at our bottle, because we spent a lot of time designing that bottle from, mm-hmm. you know, the waxing to the bands yeah. to the inset star. I, I like to call it, it's the perfect Texan. It's the, uh, you know, <laughs> cowboy boots and denim jeans, but also with that nice uh, white luster pearl snap down collared shirt that's tucked in with a cowboy mm-hmm. hat. It's... um it's everything that shows like we're classy, but we're also, you know, a little bit rough and tumble all at the same time. And we wanted to kind of draw people into that idea. Like, you know what, this is, that bottle looks different already. Even the color looks different. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun kind of talking about it and then segueing like, Hey, we're, we're Texan. Oh, okay. No, but I, and I call, I think that's a great point. Like, and I, I think probably for me personally, like I would probably get caught up in that as well. Like you start to think about a, a Texas whiskey, um, you know, and you want to stand out like in that space as well. But then at the same time, it's like, look, this isn't just about like, you know, dominating one space. Like you want to have, yeah. um, you want to be a, a wider range of reach a, a broad range of people that are interested in, in bourbons uh, and not just be classified as like a Texas bourbon, even though that's what, what it is. Yeah, you know, and I might be speaking out of turn on this one. I don't know. So I might have to call you in a day and tell you to cut this out of the interview. But, you know, for me, I mean, Texas can Texas can be two things for people. They can be like, oh, my God, Texas, you know, these visions of Austin and Cowboys and everything. And it's a really accepted vision of what Texas is. Or it can be the other and be like, ooh, Texas, you know. Yeah little bit more this a little bit sure. more that i don't know so that's kind of where i came in with the double-edged sword it's like yes we want to be known as a texas brand but we also just want to be known as a, a great bourbon regardless of where we're made yeah i think it's a great point yeah oh, that makes perfect sense um okay so let's talk about the whiskey itself here because i've i've never had it i've waited to open it uh, which oh, is nice. not which is not uh, easy for me. So this is the first pour. I've let it sit a little bit. Having a full bottle sitting there is not on my, uh, my patience doesn't really lend itself to having a full bottle and not trying it for the first time. So I, I feel um, bad now for rescheduling. On you. No, no. I, yeah, I was like, damn it, man. I was really gonna, excited to drink that. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> major, right. major wait, major wait. Yeah, stare at it a little longer. Um, all right, so tell me, tell me about this small batch specifically. Did you want to start? Are we going to start with the small batch? Yes. That's yeah. yeah okay. That's, that's the, the right one to work with. Okay. So yeah. tell me a little uh, bit so, about this one. Yeah. So our small batch bourbon, that's our flagship bourbon. That's the, the first one we went to market with. It's uh, still our original recipe of 74% panhandle food grade white corn, uh, soft winter red wheat, 15% and 11% barley for fill. Um, the coolest thing about our bourbon itself is that we're aged a minimum of, of three years. Uh, the small batch of you is probably three, maybe some four-year barrels in there. So that sounds young uh, on, pract- in, on paper and in practice, but uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about our climate and that Texas terroir. That temperature fluctuation, we're able to extract a lot more flavor in a quicker 
So with our rick houses, you know, we don't temperature control. Um, we want to let Mother Nature make that whiskey. Uh, and what ends up happening is the pressure that builds in those barrels, uh, because we're using the custom barrels, our staves, they're not three quarter inch, they're inch and a quarter thick. So they're like double the mm. thickness of it. So we actually penetrate deeper into the staves and extract a lot of different like, you know, fatty acids and amino acids and sugar chains that you can't otherwise extract in a lower climate. We're about like 20 degrees differentiation, I believe, uh, leading to a much bigger angel share. Um, <clears throat> we lose about 14 to 16% angel share every year. Wow. So come year three, uh, those barrels are already half empty, yeah. um, which is kind of a bummer, but also really, really good, better surface area ratio, better extraction mm -hmm. rates. Uh, so <clears throat> that dark crimson amber color, that's, that's the best part about our bourbon. Um, from there, <clears throat> with the small batch, we marry a few hundred barrels together for our signature kind of flavor profile. I don't know uh, what you're tasting right now, but one of the first things I ever noticed about our bourbon when I first tasted it is body. Mm -hmm. It's got this texture. It's, it's got this viscosity. Thick. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's thick. It's thick. Yeah, um, that is I, awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah, when I tasted it the first time years ago, I go, oh my gosh, this is way different than anything I'd had before mm -hmm. uh, coming out of Kentucky. And then we got into the nuances of, you know, like still very big butterscotch and caramels. And mm -hmm. then it quickly dissipates into so much oak and a lot of spice. You know, you get like red hots, some cinnamon, some clove, nutmeg. Um, I constantly refer to it as my old fashioned in a bottle. It's got the booze, it's got the bitter, it's got the sweet. It's everything I love in an old fashioned, just not as sugary sweet. Yeah, that's really good. I've, I've never had it before. That's the first time I've tried it out. Um, but you're right. Like, I think the first thing I get a lot of, I mean, that, that nose is like really nice. Um, like butterscotch kind of corn. Um, mm -hmm. yep. it's definitely like when you taste it, like that body is way different than anything else. I mean, that's, that's very unique. Yeah. So Ryan kind of touched on it a little bit. And, you know, one of the things that I love that we do, so, you know, he said that we married 200 barrels together to create our kind of signature taste, that signature taste changes a little bit every year because we do a processing called sweet mashing instead of sour mashing which mm -hmm. is kind of the industry standard so with sweet mashing we're not carrying over any of our spent grains after we're done with the the brew process we just move on to a completely new batch you know dan and donna's kind of looked at it two ways you know you don't reuse your coffee grounds on on the next batch of coffee that you're brewing and also when we started we didn't know, you know, kind of back to what I said earlier, we didn't know what Texas bourbon was going to be. So we didn't want to commit ourselves to this is what we're going to do every single time. So with that, the, the flavor profile might change a little bit. You know, uh, our 2019 was a little bit spicier than our 2018. Um, 2020 was a little bit more of those butterscotch kind of like grandma's baking kind of notes. Um, but it was softer than the 2018. So it's, it's really interesting to see each year vary a little bit, not mm -hmm. drastically, just having some different notes stand out. And I think that's the cool thing with being a, a smaller producer that we get to do. I mean, that would be very challenging for one of those big guys to, to do and very expensive for them to do. Yeah. I would, I mean, I would imagine that's definitely from a, a, the craft side versus like a, like again, the, mm -hmm. the giants in, in Kentucky, 
when you get the bottle number on these things and you got the year on them, it's like, it, that's a fun for me as somebody that enjoys bourbon. Like, like I want to taste that 18 and 19 and 20 next to each other and compare the two. I think that would be mm-hmm. an absolute yeah. blast. Cause despite like the small batch, again, if you get a small batch of something out of heaven Hill, it's going to be the same every single year, no matter what there's Pretty really much, not going to be yeah. a variety. And that's impressive as hell. I think that's one of the it most is. impressive things. With the yeah. Big yeah. Guys. Like the, I, I, uh, I jumped into a, um, a bottle of a, a bourbon that my grandfather had in the eighties and compared it against something that I just recently got at store still almost identical. And wow. I was like, man, that's, that's 40 years removed and it's still the same juice. So, uh, that that's amazing for us. We really like to highlight that idea of like, Hey, you know what? Grains give off different sugars, Oak, our, our Oak, uh, barrels, mm-hmm. you know, no tree is identical all our trees are a little different. So those barrels are all going to give off different unique flavor profiles, uh, thus creating like, you know, a lot of different cool single barrels, but then you can marry Rick house three, uh, row four with Rick house one row one. And it's just makes a really, really cool little, uh, juice there. Is Yeah. Go ahead. On, on that point on. So you said something, Tony, that'll come back to, but to Ryan's point too, our master distiller, Donis, every Monday morning, he is going out and trying at least 12 barrels on the ranch. So for us, it's not, I mean, there is science there. Don't let me take away from what Donis does, but it's more his palate and his taste. So as he's tasting these barrels, he's making a quick judgment. Okay, that works for what I want to do with small batch this year. Or, hey, maybe that stands out in a very unique way that needs to go into our single barrel program, honeydew, or one of our other allocated items. So it's for us, it's all taste, which is incredible uh, that he's still doing it that way. And then you were talking about the hand signed bottles, Tony, and that's usually either Dan Garrison or Donis Todd down at the end of our bottling line, hand signing each bottle, writing the number on there, after volunteers have stood there all day dipping our bottles. So 99% of our bottles are handed by volunteers. So if you or anybody tuning into this in the, the near future wants to come out, they can hang out with us all day, dip bottles, drink bourbon, drink some Lone Stars, get some food and have a blast. That's awesome. That's the, yeah. uh, I feel like that's a distillery experience that might be different than others. That would be pretty, pretty no, rad for to, sure. uh, to do. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think for, a, for, you know, when you put small batch on it and I think sometimes terminology gets, gets frayed a little bit, you know, when you're mm-hmm. dealing with like a small batch from Garrison brothers is going to be a difference from a small batch from, you know, Buffalo trace. Um, just purely based off of quantity. And like you said, it's impressive that you can have that mass quantity and keep it consistent. I think that's crazy. Um, But I also like the variability with a actual smaller batch um, that, that would make those year to year comparisons a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I've got a, I've got a vertical right now that dates back all the way to 2014. Uh, I've got a bottle from every single year unopened. And uh, when one day I can't wait to like sit down and just side by side by side by side. It'll be a fun day. Yeah. <laughs> be a long day. I remember it all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> By the time you get, don't wait till like 2025 or anything. Cause <laughs> uh, all the small batches might be a stupid question, but since there is like that variability per year, is everything coming out year to year at 94 proof? 
Yes. It is. Yeah. Okay. So that's, you know, there, there's the story that, that they'll, they'll tell you on the tour, but, you know, as you talk to Donis about the science of it, um, you know, as he was building, you know, our small batch and looking at proofs and everything, 94 is that optimal proof to stand up to a cube. Um, you're still going to get that full body. If you throw an ice cube in there, it's not going to dilute so much that it, you know, just tastes like watered down corn, wheat, and barley. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the, the proof that we found to really hold up to that. Yeah. And the the, the other part kind of, of it. Oh, go ahead, Ryan. The way that Donis kind of talks about it is that, um, we don't, we, all our barrels, they're uncut, they're unfiltered. You know, we, we don't kind of, we don't do any freeze filtering, anything like that. So you still have all of those oils uh, mm -hmm. from the wood that are in that bottle. The moment you dip down below 94, you get a little hazy kind of characteristic to the bottles. You kind of can see a little bit, like if you were to throw that bottle into the freezer and come back, you'll actually see all of those oils congeal and clump up. And you shake it up, it'll all go away. Uh, but oh. that yields that that leans towards us being a lot more of like a velvety characteristic. A lot more of those flavors of, of richness come from all of that. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's exactly that's what really I was cool. Say. That, that's really cool, and I think it's cool. I I've, I don't know that I've heard about using the thicker wood yet in the barrels, um, but that makes perfect sense with the yeah. the summers that you guys have down there. Oh, um, it's wild, man. It's literally, you can go into the Rick house and you'll see bourbon still pushing all the way out past that inch and a quarter uh, and just like crystallizing on the surface. It's, it's crazy wild. It's nuts. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I love the color of it. The nose is outstanding. I mean, it's the, like you said, the body of it, like is so unique because I don't think you get that, that you said the viscosity, not to that extent. I mean, some, you know, you'll have stuff that has you know, the legs dripping down on it, but like, you don't have that full mouth feel of like, I mean, it's thick, like it's a really nice feeling bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, think about what you're drinking now and then, you know, multiply it a little bit as you start to get into our barrel proof stuff and that viscosity mm -hmm. is amped up a little bit. And then on top of the proof, it, I mean, it just creates a, a beautiful tasting high proof, proof bourbon. Yeah. That's, that's, to Ryan's point, that's one thing that I truly love about our bourbon is just that viscosity because it is so unique. Yeah, that's uh, that's delicious. I can I can only imagine those high proofs are are kicking a little bit. And I do love. I mean, again, I do like some high proofs for sure. Um, but like, I'm I'm not a personally, I'm not a fan of like the eighty proofs. Um, they just don't really do it for me. Um, mm -hmm. There are some obviously that have some delicious flavor, uh, but that's not going to be like my go-to. Like I'm not going to go and, uh, and, and typically pick up something at an 80 proof. Um, not again, not because the flavor is not good. I just don't, I, I prefer something above, you know, nine, like that 90 to hundred range is going to be something yep. I'm going to sip on. Um, like that 94 is, is money. Like that's, that's a, uh, seems like a perfect point for that. Mm -hmm. All right. What are we, uh, what are we moving on to next? I would probably say single barrel, uh, unless okay. Ryan right. disagrees. I got, I got the honey, honeydew and the balmeray. Honeydew. honeydew. Oh, honeydew. Balmeray. Sorry, yeah. sorry. We're going oh, honeydew? Balmeray. Yeah, yeah the balmeray. Let's yeah, do, I, I would say that. let's do yes. the, I, I would say let's do the honeydew. We'll wrap up on the balmeray. The balmeray right. is like the, the creme de la creme. So um, our honeydew bourbon is an expression. It's a little bit newer to the California market. We brought it out in September of last year. Um, this is the weirdest infused whiskey you'll ever hear about, uh, from anybody. Um, 
I'm not a big flavored whiskey guy. Uh, I, I just can't do it. Um, I'm not, I wouldn't say a purist, but let's just say I'm a, I've had a lot of bad experiences with flavored whiskeys uh, late into the night, if that makes any sense. So college. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can afford that. Yeah. Uh, sounds, sounds good. Yep, Cinnamon so, apple something. <laughs> so uh, the honeydew bourbon is very unique. What we did is we took our small batch bourbon and we dumped that in the stainless vats. And these barrels that Donis finds, he specifically leans into barrels that have a more honey-esque finish or a honey-esque flavor profile from the, those barrels and those bourbons. We dump those in the stainless vats and then he works with somebody to pretty much take the barrels that house those bourbon, break those down into cubes, and then pressure infuse 500 pounds of Texas Burleson raw honey into those cubes. And then we let those dry out and then we steep them back in the bourbon for an additional six to eight months. So instead of utilizing you know, residual sugars or kind of like any kind of artificial flavoring or anything like that, we're allowing a natural bonding process to happen as the honey from the wood then soaks back into the bourbon itself. So I really like to call this a honey finished bourbon uh, as opposed to a honey infused bourbon. Uh, what you'll find is there's not, it lacks that uh, sticky, syrupy, kind of like tackiness that, that you get from other flavored whiskeys. This is still a bourbon true to, uh, true to its heart. Um, but yeah, Cole, if you want to talk a little bit about it. Yeah, you know, Ryan was talking about those those staves that we chop up. And to me, the, the coolest thing, and I'm not exactly sure on the weight, so I'm just going to use an example here. But Donis essentially has these chopped up into like a little sugar cube, almost size chip. And then, you know, we get it pressure infused in there. So if that chip went in weighing one pound, let's say it comes out weighing double, so two pounds. So that's pretty incredible that they're able to force that much honey into a little tiny wood square. And honestly, the thing that I love most about this, and you can truly taste it, it's on the nose. It smells like raw honey, which I love honey. And it just, it, it's there. And then on the palate, it's soft, it's subtle. Um, you, to me, it, it doesn't linger too long. Like some of those other flavored whiskeys might it's just it's there it's gone um and the beautiful thing is it's still bourbon you know we haven't watered it down to 70 proof or anything like that you know so we can have the honey show through more it's just it's a nice subtle kiss and it's gone i get the strongest note of honey on the finish and, and like i said it's not it's not long but i get i get the strongest note of it on the finish yeah like at, the, at the very end um so this is this it's this it's basically the small batch with the honey right yeah yeah okay. and that's yeah, still so 94 for, proof no this so one's 80 so I, 80. I was laughing in my head a little bit as you're like ah typically i like the higher proof um but you know for us everything starts as small batch that's a, that's mm. our flagship bourbon that's everything that we set out to make and then from there as i was explaining earlier as donis is trying everything he then determines what program it's going to go into so you know per per expression that we have on the shelf there's not a different yeast in there there's not a different mash bill it's pretty much the same all the way through it's just a different finishing process mm. yeah and and i know like I, I know that the honey whether honey finished we'll call it um 
are, it seems like it's getting really popular. Um, I've seen a yep. lot of them coming out right now. You know, it seems uh-huh. like that's a, like the next, um, not mass, but the, the next big like finish, you know, like it was like the port and the sherry. Yeah. Um, but it seems like honey seems to be like the popular one right now. Yeah, there's a lot of different finishing that's going in in the entire whiskey world. Um, the best way I like to describe our honeydew and, and a lot of those finished barrels, gateway bourbon. Mm. It is for the non-bourbon drinker to say, that's what whiskey tastes like or can't mm. taste like, I'm in. And so it kind of opens the floodgates to say, hey, there's there's an avenue in which this might be for you. And, yeah. and you know, you maybe you start at the honeydew and go to the small batch and then you know, end on that Balmeray one day, it's, it's a gateway and it kind of opens everybody up and not only just the bourbon, but all whiskeys. It's funny. Like when you mentioned that, like the 80 proof, um, there's one very specifically, and I'm not going to name names. It's from a big brand and there's a, there's a paper thing on it. And I don't, uh, I don't like it. I'm not a fan. Uh, it's not the proof. I just don't think it's very good. And I've, I've had That's it good. out with friends of mine, uh, that were like, God, that's, the best, you know, and I'm, and I can't, I can't get into it, you know, and it's not, yeah. I'm not a proof snob. I don't need it to be 140 proof to, you know, in order to like it. Um, I just typically for like bourbons, I'm going to sip on, it's going to be closer to that 94 proof. Um, but like, I do like when you have something different, uh, you have something like a finished one uh, that that'll sit a little bit lower. And then I think you do get some of those because the finished bourbon, I think at a high proof, I think you start to like get those, they, they get a little sharp with their flavors. Cause it's like, I you agree. get the, you get that, that, that proof that hit from the proof, um, the bourbon, and then you get like that hit from a, um, like whatever it's finished in. And it just feels very like jagged. It's not a, it's not a yep. smooth, um, consistent drink. Yeah. The, the term I like sense. to refer to hundred percent makes sense. The term I like to use is it tastes muddled. Um, mm. it's just like a muddy mess of like, all right, I've, not sure what I'm getting. That's when like the proofing really comes into play. Um, yep. With a lot of our barrel finished stuff, you know, when we proof, we've actually proofed down with uh, rain caught water on the ranch mm. to keep it as pure as possible. And Donis plays with that with a lot of different formulas to find like, all right, what's the perfect balance point between proofing uh, to bring out all those wonderful flavors and take it from point A to point Z and not rush through the rest of that alphabet. And that's what I love about all our bourbons. Even our honeydew, like you were saying, you still have a lot of those uh, butterscotch and caramel on the front end. Oh. For me, I actually get a really nice pronounced like floral mid palate. And then it finishes with that like barrel spice characteristic on the mm. back end still. Um, I love that that bourbon. It's uh, it's something that caught me off guard when I heard mm-hmm. about it, a flavored whiskey and I start making cocktails with it. It makes a killer uh, whiskey sour. It makes a killer mm. like Collins based cocktail. This is one you can kind of play with a little bit more. Um, the small batch as well, but this guy, I mean, I'm throwing them in tiki cocktails. I use this in the, what I call Texas tiki, where I'm balancing like a little bit of allspice, hibiscus, and maybe some aged rum. Uh, it, it's kind of a more versatile player in the cocktail world. That's interesting. It seems, uh, yeah, I think, I think it would be interesting to see uh, people's reaction overall. Like, cause again, I, I've seen it from a lot of different, different craft distilleries that are coming out with like the honey finished. Um, and this is actually the first honey finish that I've tried. I keep seeing it. I know Bellmead came out with something and, mm-hmm. um, th- there's been a number of them and I know it's really popular right now. So I haven't tried them because I kind of worry for me. It's like, I don't want it to be when you think honey, you think the consistency of honey. Yep. So it's hard to like separate the, the, like the, the smell and the note of honey versus like the, the feel or consistency of, of honey. 
Um, so it's almost like you would expect this to be a thicker type of a bourbon, but it's it's not. And I think that's great. We can get on board with that for sure. <laughs> Glad you love it. Yeah, I'm in. So this is this nice. is just now, this is in California, you said, or it's not yet? It is. It yeah, is. We, we kicked it off last year uh, in September. So it's been oh, okay. around for almost a year now. Okay. But before All that, right. it was a experimental release on the uh, at our distillery. Okay, so we got to go Should to the Balmeray. Go ahead. No, we, go ahead. Before we go to the, before we get into it, there's a funny story between behind Honeydew because it is called Honeydew. Uh -huh. um, for the longest time, Nancy Garrison, Dan's wife, was putting it on his list. Said, "Honey, I, I really would like a honey whiskey. I want a honey." And so every year, every month, every week. Honey bourbon, honey bourbon, honey bourbon. And Dan said, we're never going to do that. Never going to happen. And Charlie Garrison told me the story. And for months, he would tell Donis, like, we're well, no, not, not going to do it. Not going to do it. One day, out of the blue, Dan walks into the Rick house, sweating bullets, said, guys, we need a honey bourbon. And uh, Donis and Charlie look at him and say, really? Like, I thought you said no. He goes, we need a honey bourbon. My marriage depends on it. And uh, that's the story <laughs> of how uh, honeydew. We don't know what Dan did, but apparently he did something that uh, he needed to, to <laughs> double back and say, "Yeah, we need we need a honey bourbon." So, Charlie least, Garrison's words, not mine. At least he recognized it. You know, it could have been yeah. worse, right? <laughs> yeah. So, tell me, um, out of before we go to the Balmeray, like um, you've mentioned Donis a number of times, and I saw him on the <laughs> website, listening to a couple of the interviews that he was in. Um, where where's he from what's his like background how did you guys get or how did he get with garrison brothers um sounds like he's making some and tastes like he's making some really delicious stuff yeah so you know donis is originally from ohio so you know not not a texan um but there's nothing wrong with that um donis donis's career mostly was in the military um he was traveling all over the world um but to back up a little bit his I think it was his grandpa, grandpa. or yeah, his, yeah. yeah, his grandfather was a, what was it? Corn, corn wine that he was making, Ryan. Hmm. He was doing that. He was also a bit of a machinist, I believe. And yeah, so he was making, he was making his own stills. Yeah. So he was, I believe shining a little bit um, up there in Ohio. And then as Donis got into the military and started to travel all over the world, you know, he started volunteering at distilleries all over the world and learning the craft. Um, you know, for many years, you know, when he was in Japan, he was hanging out with those guys, learning from them a little bit and kind of so on as he traveled throughout the, the world. And he retired, got out of the military, uh, decided to move to Texas with his uh, wife and um, settled down. And I don't remember exactly what job he had, but he saw that... Um, a distiller's license had been granted to Dan and Charlie Garrison. Um, so he decided, hell, I'm going to jump on my, my bike and ride out there and check it out. And from Dan, the story is that he was out traveling and there were a couple guys working on the ranch and Donis showed up, you know, tattooed, full sleeve tattoos, wild beard, long hair on his Harley. And, um, said, hey, who runs this place? I want to chat with them. So they got Don, uh, Dan on the phone and Donna said, hey, I want to be your master distiller. And Dan at the time said, look, man, we're just, we're just trying to get this thing going. I, I don't really have any money to pay you. Um, 
you know, I, I, I can't really use you. And Dawn has basically said, you'll figure a way out. I'm going to go ahead and stay. Um, and kind of the rest is history. He, he's been with us pretty much legally since day one. Um, he wasn't part of the shining operation, but he's been with us for a while, for a really long while. Wow. I mean, I know in our, in our industry, when, uh, when somebody does good, they're constantly getting poached. Uh, so I have to imagine people are, you know, keeping their eye on him and the things that he's, he's making and putting out. Cause obviously the, uh, attention to detail is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, you know, I, I worked for a beer company for a long time and our master brewer is making some of the, the best stuff in, in the world and in the industry, as far as craft beer was concerned. And it was always part of the chatter um, amongst the, the sales team, like, hey, you know, what happens if this guy leaves? And obviously, you know, there's a lot of back end dealing where, you know, they're, they're granted equity and ownership and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And I, I don't know any about anything about that with Donis, but he's our guy. So I'm sure he's being very well taken care of. That's awesome. And yeah. The way that uh, the way that Charlie and Dan refer to him, he's he's the third brother. Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Wow. That, that, that's, a, that's a big deal. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. a big <laughs> one. <laughs> that's rad. Uh, he, he's right. an amazing guy. That's so cool. I mean, it's cool that you have, you know, like, because um, the one thing I've noticed, or not the one thing, but one thing I've noticed about people like in this industry, and like we were talking about earlier, if you're representing a brand that you believe in and that you like and that you enjoy, it makes it really easy to go to work. Um, but if you're the dude that's making the stuff that you really enjoy um, and you're responsible for, uh, improving it or making it more consistent that that's gotta be uh that's a big deal. That's a, that's a really sor- huge source of pride. I think for anybody that has their hands in something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, for, for Donis now, I mean, you know, if you, to Ryan's point about the vertical, you know, if you were to sit back and try some of our early stuff, you know, it was, it was us trying to make money. You know, we, we'd sat on these barrels for a long period of time and it's like, okay, let's go. And we were still learning our craft. And you look at what we're putting out now, to your point, Tony, um, it's it's up there as far as what you want to consider as some of the best stuff in the industry. And, you know, we've won back-to-back double golds at San Francisco Spirits Competition, which is a huge honor and not very easy yeah. to do. And we've won a ton of other very respectable awards. And, you know, for us, I, I always say this, Donis is making the best use in the industry. He's truly figured out what he needs to do. Um, and it's, it's incredible what he's done with, with our little brand from Texas. And I think it's cool too, because like, like you were mentioning earlier, you have like, you're dealing with different aspects that people aren't in other spots and, and not mm-hmm. to say it's not, not to, not to diminish what anybody is doing. Cause I think it's incredible what people are doing. Um, but like it's, you can't just say, okay, well, this is what they're doing in Kentucky. We're going to copy that and do it here because you can't, it wouldn't work. Yeah. You have to do it your own way and you have to figure out like you're dealing with like weather that you have no control over and it's extreme. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking like extreme heat, extreme humidity, freezing cold um, that don't have the swings that, you know, Kentucky may have or, you know, whether you're in Vegas or Fallon, Nevada or Washington or back east. And so you are like, there's a man, like, there's a lot that goes into that. That's not yeah. easy. No, um, it is not. Yeah, that's that's cool. It's it's always cool uh, to hear about people who have like you know niched their way out of this and and found that you know there's a different way to do things to make really good really good juice. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, it's um, Dan always makes the joke. We're not making vodka here, you know, so it's <laughs> yeah. So I'll just leave a little that, shot, but... little shot at his friend down the road. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, all right. Tell me about the Balmeray. So I, I will yeah. say this. So I don't like I Very honestly, I'd never had Garrison Brothers um, seen on the shelf. And but the one thing I'd heard of was Balmeray and Cowboy. And I keep hearing about those two things. Um, you know, single barrel sounds like it's uh, there's some good single barrel, a, a good single barrel program going on. But mm-hmm. I keep hearing about the Balmeray and the yeah. the cowboy. So tell me about the Balmeray. So what you're about to enjoy is probably it's kind of tied with cowboy, but it's uh, it's our most award winning bourbon. Um, this is a double barrel bourbon. We take a four year dump it. And then we put it back into brand new American oak for an additional year and a half. So two different uh, two different bourbon. I'm sorry, two different barrels over two different seasons, uh, lending to a very very tannic and earthy and rich bourbon coming out of those barrels. Uh, we proof it at 115 proof, um, so it is going to get kind of like a little more of that higher octane that you like. Uh, but the coolest thing is that you, that's what I was about to say. You put that up, it is dark. That's dark. Dude, that it, is yeah. like dark. that's no joke. Yeah, like it is like maple syrup dark. Yeah, I was like when I poured it, I'm looking down at that, and I was like, man, that looks like held up to the light. I was like, good lord, <laughs> that's no joke. Yeah, that uh, that barrel extraction over those uh, you know five plus years is extreme, and the flavors you're going to get out of it are phenomenal. They are very very nuanced and balanced. You've got a lot of those like kind of like I for me I get like um dried cereal maple oak characteristics with a lot of like hints of earthy tobacco is it same kind of mash bill as the small batch yep uh, yeah that's yeah, so, one of the coolest things go ahead cole no go ahead and finish your statement i'll jump in <clears throat> uh that's one of the coolest things that i love about donis what he likes to do with our bourbon is instead of messing around with mash tons he likes to mess around with barrel finishes and experimental barrel finishes and so the Balmeray is like that the Balmeray is an experimental barrel finish because it's seeing a second oak barrel for an additional year and a half uh, similarly we have a couple other expressions a port barrel finish that just got released uh, called Guadalupe we released another one called Laguna Madre that's a, a four-year American oak four-year French oak uh, that has a lot of different nuances and incredible flavors but the Balmeray was the first barrel finisher kind of experimental finish that we did that just nailed it it's spectacular dude that's amazing we call it our candy it's our bourbon candy it is delicious i mean there's so much going on in there it's incredible and it's still going on by the way yeah yeah <laughs> it will like it's, it's still <laughs> happening <laughs> yeah 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 it'll linger with you you know when you're out on the uh out on the field of practice you'll uh you might get a little like, like oh I like yep. that. <laughs> a little bourbon, little bourbon exhale. Like, oh yeah, that's what I had this morning. Uh, I mean, but it's like it's kind of it's kind of a dry finish. Like it's very like it's dry. I mean, that, but it's it's like linger. I mean, it's still sitting there. Like I'm still getting flavor from that. That's one of the coolest things yeah. I like with our higher proof bourbons. As the uh, you know, as it dissipates from the palate, you know, it just carries. It coats, lingers on the exhale. Yeah. It's going to linger like you're going to taste this bourbon for the next, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes after you're finished. It's the, the best part. Yeah. That is, that is really interesting. Like that. I mean, it, it it's like a, it, like it coats your mouth and it like dries out and the flavor just, stick, I mean, it's still sticking around. Like that is mm-hmm. rad. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, it's, um, I love every single thing that we sell uh, from the experimental stuff to, you know, honeydew. I, I love it all. It all has its perfect time and place. But if you were to stick a, a gun to my head and say, hey, which is truly your favorite Garrison Brothers, it always comes down to Balmeray for me. It's such a beautiful, unique bourbon. You know, Ryan was talking about the, the second barrels that we use and they're brand new, new American oak barrels. So as you look at that color, that is 100% attributed to that second round of new barrel. So, you know, we're not, you know, using a, a port barrel, we're getting so much additional extraction from that new barrel. It's, it's pretty impressive. And I mean, it really shows in that bourbon and really tastes through in that bourbon. And, and you're not toasting it or anything? We do toast. Yeah. So yeah. both, both rounds are toasted to, to, okay. uh, to Donis's specifications. He's got his own custom char level and I believe toast it's level a, and everything like that. I believe it's a 53 second yes. level, level three alligator char. Yeah. Mm, okay. I mean that that is that's really really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, because you, yeah. you know, everybody's heard about the Balmoran, you've heard of you know the cowboy, and I mean those are and and I think you know you see the Garrison Brothers on the shelf, and you've got what I think is cool is you got the three seventy five um, for the small batch, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's which is which is really cool, which I don't think enough people are really offering, by the way, personally. Um, but I, I think it's really, or at least they're not. Uh, on all of the shows I'd say, here. yeah, on the, on the craft side, for sure. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. But I think it's, uh, I think that's a cool way to introduce people to it that, uh, like we don't like here where I'm at in Phoenix, I mean, I'm in Arizona. We're out West. We're not in Scottsdale. When you're in Scottsdale, you have a lot of different options out there. So out here you've got, um, your total wine and a couple of liquor stores, um, and so when total wine carries things and it's like, okay, I really want, I'm really interested in this. You don't have some of the craft stuff that you'd really like to try out, uh, that people I think that are into or follow, you know, bourbon a little bit more closely, you're going to find, you got to drive an hour to go find some stuff, um, mm-hmm. which makes it a little bit more difficult, but you know, you'll see like all of the Garrison brothers stuff that's on the shelf and, um, that seeing the 375, I think is a nice option for people because a lot of them out here don't have that. Um, or they're not at least not getting it here. So I think it's a really nice option um, for the small batch. But yeah, this is this is outstanding. I'm glad you love it. Yeah, that's yeah. the cool thing about you know a lot of those the specialty releases that we do. You know, you'll see them. But now we've gotten to a point like our our Balmeray, If you see it on the shelves, grab it because oh. it's it will be gone quickly. We can only make so much bourbon every year, yeah. um, and we gosh, I, I there are days I work with a lot of total wines out here. They're like, all right, cool. We're going to order a couple of cases. I'm like, awesome. And uh, I'll call them the next day. Hey, how'd it go? It's already gone. It's oh, already. So yeah. it's, it's a lot of fun. It's got a great following now. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got a re- even to when we do our distiller releases, you know, when we do our Balmeray release every year, or, you know, the, the Cowboy or, you know, the Guadalupe, we have fans from all over the place that come and line up the night before. And we have a stretching two mile road that backs up all the way to the highway with a car towed up behind every single other car uh for the entire night people are sleeping in campers people are sleeping just in their car and uh, those those days are a lot of fun because you see how many people get really excited about our bourbon and uh it's just a big party on the ranch yeah the, uh, on that oh go, go ahead tony no 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 uh, go. I, I was just gonna say to ryan's point we just released our guadalupe which is our port finish 
and we have yet to try it, but what I'm reading and hearing is amazing. So I can't wait to try it. But the first person showed up Friday, either Thursday morning or Friday morning Friday at morning. 940 AM to get in line for something that was going to release 24 hours later. And then it's crazy. I mean, Donis, he'll take a video of him driving up in uh, his, um, oh, his, uh, like quad basically and it keeps going you, you think it's going to be a minute long video it's like a 10 minute long video of him just driving along and everybody's out waving having a good time either drinking bourbon or you know some lone stars or something waiting yeah. to get their two bottles from the distillery it's it's crazy it's nuts i mean yeah. it's got to be cool though for you guys to see like how i mean it's not it's not just a yes like distribution's nice and all that but like when you have mm -hmm. people that are there they're going to go and spend a day of their life sitting in line to go get this. Like, that's got to be oh, cool yeah. for you, you know? Oh, it's, it's oh, incredible. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I mean, those, those people are diehard fans that mm -hmm. a lot of people, no matter, you know, what you're making or producing, whether it's alcohol or tea, yeah. they would go crazy to have that, that line and enthusiasm behind their brand. So we're, mm -hmm. we're truly bl blessed in that way. Give me, give me some uh, of these three. And I want to talk about some of the other ones that you guys have out, but give me some price points on these three, if you guys would. Yeah. So um, with the small batch and the honeydew, uh, typical retail and, you know, for the West coast, you're anywhere from $79 to about maybe 85, 99, depending on which market you're in is typically where we try to land um, for the Balmeray. Uh, typically about 179-ish is kind of where we're landing retail. And you brought up total wine. Those are yeah. those are our total wine prices most of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I saw I think I think I saw the small batch at 80, 84, 99 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then the boot flask. So that's what we call the little guy. Mm -hmm. um, the boot flask. Uh, quick story on that, Dan. Uh, started to get really annoyed that he couldn't take his bourbon into UT football games. So he had this brilliant idea to create a bottle that fits in his cowboy boot between his calf and his boot. Um, so that is our boot flask. That's what we call our little guy. But typically that's anywhere from about $39.99 to $40, depending on, you know, what the, the big guy's price is. You got to respect the, uh, the, the uh, intuition to know that uh, we got to be able to get that in to watch the uh, watch the Longhorns, you know. His brother, though, um, tried to take it through the TSA line, and I will tell everybody, you can get through the TSA line. Just make sure that you pop off the Pewter Star because it will ring up in the uh, oh. the metal detector. <laughs> but somebody had to try it, and I'm glad. Well, it yeah, <laughs> I forgot it was there. I, I take it everywhere, you know. Whoops. Yep. <laughs> uh, tell me, tell me about some of the other stuff. I know you got a single barrel, uh, the cowboy, uh, like you said, the Guadalupe. What? Tell, first, tell me about the cowboy a little bit. I, I'm just curious yeah. about that one. So, cowboy is it's cow. It's truly envisioned for a cowboy. I mean, it is yeah. uncut, unfiltered. Um, Donis takes his piggy banks on the ranch. These things that he, these barrels that he's just kind of kicked down the road, you know, not knowing where they truly fit into the program. Um, and Ryan can elaborate a little bit, but 
typically it's 130 plus on the proof. So last yeah. year's Cowboy release was 133.9. Um, the year before was 137.5. It's it's big boy bourbon, like you know, yeah. buckle up, you're you're about to go to space type thing. <laughs> yeah, that that is. I have a a bottle that I'm still sipping on from 2017 when I first visited the distillery. Uh, that I just it's my like I'm only going to drink this on really special occasions. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are what Donis calls his piggy banks. Like Cole said, they're our oldest barrels on the ranch. So this is seven years plus that we're looking at. And the way that Donis looks at it is if, if something can survive seven years in that Texas climate, it's got to be something special. So, mm-hmm. you know, there'll be times where he'll, he'll dump a barrel and it's enough juice to maybe fill five bottles. And that's just what happens with our evaporation rate and uh, you know, the, with the angel share and everything. But the flavor is incredible. Mm-hmm. So though it's in that 130 range, it drinks shockingly smooth you know big rich notes of you know demerara you know a lot more oak driven characteristics um that is our annual release released once every year usually around september october uh and we only get a handful of bottles every single year that that kind of meet the market and uh, they quickly disappear again um <clears throat> beautiful gold wax that was one of the first uh big winners for us that's a double gold that we've won at the san francisco spirits award just like our balmeray which is a double gold from the san francisco spirits awards um it's the way that the math kind of works out uh and we've actually sent out our juice to get tested in, in labs kind of where do we stand as a three and four year whatnot so our small batch our three and four year stands up to about a 10 to 12 year kentucky bourbon or like a let's just say an 18 year if you do the you know the angel share math on it so if you're looking at a seven year you're looking at a, a bourbon that really isn't like that 30 35 40 year range for a single malt scotch Nuts. and those are really wildly different in flavor profile similar for us it's just amazing amazing earthy tannic leathery tobacco notes with a beautiful sweet kiss of uh, butterscotch caramel what what is the cowboy run if people see it on the shelves 220 two, two somewhere yeah. around there. Yeah, absurd. Dep- yeah, depending on the retailer, it might be 250. So yeah. anywhere really from about 200 to 250 is kind of our target range there. Okay. Yeah, if I keep hearing about the cowboy and uh it seems like a perfect name for it too if you're if you're throwing out that proof point, so <laughs> Exactly. Uh, but that's awesome. I mean, that sounds like something again, who who doesn't want to have that on their shelf? Like that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and then the single barrel. Tell me about that one. Ryan, People yes. pick, picking up programs or how's that working? Yeah, we, we do it in a couple different ways. So, you know, when Elmer was teaching us how to make bourbon, he said, you're going to come across these, these unicorn barrels, these, these uh, perfectly extracted, very different, just for lack of a better term, weird barrels. And uh, he always just said, you know, kick those aside and bottle them off as one-off experiences. That's how he developed Blanton's. You know, when he was developing Blanton's, mm-hmm. he'd, started coming across barrels and, and was aging it a little differently in the rick houses and uh said this is wonderful like why would we want to marry this with other barrels let's just go straight with or that so we actually have a single barrel sampler out in, in the uh in the field it's beautiful silver wax you'll that you can see it in a lot of different places um and every barrel is a little bit different i like to talk about it as it's a little bit more refined um where it's not as viscous it's a lot more uh clean spice variations uh Beautiful, beautiful bourbon. Uh, we, in the past, have done single barrel programs where you can come to the come to the distillery and 
drill into about four or five different barrels, pull, do a pull and then sample them next to each other, pick your favorite and bottle it as a one-off experience. So uh, with the current climate of the world right now, we, we really aren't doing that just with, you know, the last thing we want to do is halt production of bourbon. Uh, we got to be making bourbon every single day. So um, we are, the distillery is open for this, for visitors. We'd love for y'all to visit, but uh, for the single barrel, private barrel stuff, we're, we're pushing that down the line until uh, we can all hang out and really drill into those barrels on a, on a deeper basis. Yeah. I think w when they uh, you sent me a box or some tickets in there to go and uh, check out the distillery. So I'm, I'm going to, I get to Texas a couple times a year, typically before last year. So when that happens, I'm, I'm coming down. Cause I think I'd say a uh, place I definitely need to see. We would love <laughs> to have you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm let us blast. know. Let yeah. us know when you're, uh, when you're in Texas again and we'll, um, Obviously the tickets work, but you know, we make sure that you're, you're all booked up. So you don't have to deal okay. with the long line that's out there. I believe it. Uh, a little VIP so, treatment. Yeah. I, I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't complain about that. Uh, <laughs> social media, where's a, where's a good place for people to find you guys? Ryan, you know this better yep. than I do. I'm terrible yep. on social media. <laughs> we're, uh, <laughs> we're very, very engaged and active on our social media at Garrison bros on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook, Garrison brothers distillery, um, you know, I, I believe we even have a TikTok somewhere. I believe, I think so at least. Um, but yeah, Garrison Bros. Even if you go to our website, uh, GarrisonBros.com, you'll find all of our social links there. Uh, we love to to you know be connected and and talking and versing. Uh, you, the gentleman who runs our uh, social media platforms, Blake, he, one of the nicest men you'll ever meet in your entire life. The guy's the salt of the awesome. earth. And he he actually does, you know, if you if you send us a message, he's gonna respond. If you're commenting, he's gonna engage with you and talk to you all about it. And you know, for us, uh, you know, being a smaller brand, we we have the luxury of, of making those relationships and bonding those relationships. Oh. You know, we we were talking about, you know, <clears throat> drinking bourbon together or a little bit earlier. And one of the biggest things I love about Dan and, and just the Garrison Brothers culture is we could make the best bourbon in the world. It could be mind-blowingly perfect, but it will never compare to the stories that you have with that you're drinking with those people. You know, with you could drink with ten people that you form relationships with forever, and and all of a sudden that supersedes what it is. And uh, our goal, with the way that Dan likes to say it, he goes, you know, bourbon creates these legendary stories. Uh, that we we really like to hang our hat on and so that's the hope with with uh garrison brothers distillery yeah i think i think that's a perfect way to way to end it that's uh that's good because <laughs> you know what like i agree 100 percent. i mean you're you're drinking uh it's, it's the time you spend i think with people and like yes you remember what you're drinking with it um but you have a expensive nice bottle and you pour yourself a drink at the end of the day it's like all right cool like you're having your bourbon but when you're mm -hmm. when you're with other people it makes it a hell of a lot more fun so absolutely with you guys really Great. appreciate your time thanks so much for sending these samples out here um, of course I, i'm glad i i'm glad i waited to try these out but i'm glad i held off and my you know cold definitely tested my patience on this one uh but i'm glad i was able to <laughs> i was glad i was able to hold off this is yeah, I, I love I love the the reactions as you tried through everything. I mean, you know, just finishing on the Balmeray, just your eyes lighting up and the, the wow, yeah. So I I am glad you waited too because that that was fun for me. But it was, it's every bit as good uh, as you've heard of. I mean, it really is. Mm -hmm. It's you know, there's um, like there's some obviously like you get hyped up about and you're thinking like, okay, this is gonna be really good. Um, but until you actually try it, and because I you know I'm sure as you guys have, you've had some that are hyped up and you try it and it's a little bit underwhelming. Um, and it's like, Oh, okay. Like I'm 
I'm sure I'm going to spend my money on that, but like that, I'm spending my money on that for sure. hundred <laughs> <Yeah>. percent. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> so yeah. Awesome. And, and anytime you're in SoCal, please drop Kohler I line. We'd love to, to meet up, grab a drink and say, thank you for having us on the, uh, Definitely. On the podcast. I will. <laughs> my family, my family's all in Orange County. So I get, I try to get back there a couple times a year. So. Perfect. I'm, I'm here all the time. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thank you greatly.